You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Well, it's so good to be here this morning. Good morning. Uh, I'm glad to extend my welcome to you here in the room and to you joining us online. Hasn't it been great to pray this week? I know fasting isn't easy. Uh, Whatever kind of fast you've chosen to do, it's it's challenging. And sometimes when we pray, it can also uh, cause some things to be stirred up. Maybe that's been your experience this week, but it's always good to pray. There have been some precious times of prayer together here at church this week. I've enjoyed some times with my prayer triplet, and it's been great to be in prayer. And as has been said, if you haven't yet come to pray, or if you haven't yet joined a prayer triplet, then it isn't too late. We've got two more weeks. Don't let it pass you by without being involved and getting in, kind of getting on board with praying first. I think we've got 68 prayer triplets registered. Uh, maybe you've just got praying with one other person. You can still register that if you haven't made it up to three, uh, but let's all uh, get connected with others and be praying in these next few weeks. Well, it's my pleasure to bring us this morning to the book of Ephesians, where we are focusing in these 21 days. I love the book of Ephesians. To me, it is glorious. And being in it in this last week, it's reminded me of the first time I studied the book as a 19-year-old, a first-year student at uni. I joined something called Navigators and was in a small group, and we had studies by ourselves to do in the week, and then we would meet together and discuss what we'd been discovering, rather like you would do in a rooted group. My small group, it met right across the other side of the city. I had to get uh, two buses to get there, but I never missed one. Because these times, unpacking Ephesians together, they were too precious. It was in that small group that I first got to know my friend Joy, who remains a dear friend and my accountability partner more than 25 years on. And I remember us grappling together, trying to get our heads around what it meant to be seated with Christ. We came up with this idea of a family bench with the father and the son sat there and being invited to join them on the family bench, included in, raised up, given a place on the family bench, having deserved nothing, and yet being given everything. The message of Ephesians is transformational. It takes a bit of grappling with to understand it because sometimes it's so deep and so glorious, we have to find ways to help it to land. But it's so good to be in these words in these three weeks. In this last week, we've been in Ephesians 1 and 2. Martin prepared us so well last Sunday with his message, chosen, saved, and raised. He didn't just. And last week, Martin gave us some background and introduction to the book of Ephesians that I'm not going to repeat today, but we're going to crack straight on because we're getting this week into Ephesians 3 and 4. And so this morning, you know, you could take weeks and weeks to read through Ephesians 3 and 4. So what we're doing this morning, it's really a kind of flyover, if you like, in preparing us to be down in the terrain of the Scriptures in the next week in our times of prayer. So we're going to read all of the text, but we're going to do it in three chunks as we consider this morning His plan, His power, and our purpose, as written about by the Apostle Paul in these chapters. And there's an alternative title, which will become more clear as we journey through the message, which is fit 
for purpose. So if you've got a Bible or a device, why don't you turn there now, pull up Ephesians 3, and we're going to begin by reading Ephesians 3, 1 to 13. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, that is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. In reading this then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Wow, here we've got Paul writing from prison and he's building in these chapters on what he's already shared in chapters one and two. He's building really on something of what he's been talking about, the riches of God's grace, of what Christ has done for us, that has impacted us and impacts each one of us individually, that he's chosen us, redeemed us, forgiven us, included us, sealed us with his Holy Spirit, made us alive when we had been dead in our sin, that he's raised us and seated us in Christ. That which has come to us through grace, this undeserved kindness of God that has been lavished on us. He'd established that in chapter one. It changes every one of us. He's then already begun to build on this in chapter two, that this isn't just an individual gospel. It's not just something that impacts me, although it does so profoundly. But there's also a community aspect, a unifying aspect to what Christ has done on the cross. As Paul describes it in Ephesians chapter two, God is making a new humanity with Jew and Gentile brought together, being built together into a dwelling in which God can live by his spirit. Now, the theme of Jew and Gentiles really important through these chapters. And in some ways, it would be good to go back and to consider the journey through Scripture. But, if, but Mark Beswick did a great job of that in the autumn in our invited series, a message called A Place at the Table. So if you want to revisit that or hear more on that, then I suggest you look up the podcast uh, in the resources section of the website because we're not going to go right back and look at the journey through Scripture. But it's some of this that Paul is building on. He's bringing us into understanding a bigger idea as we come into chapter three. And the idea is his plan, God's plan. The idea that this goes beyond our individual salvation. And he's giving us a perspective of where we sit 
within God's eternal plan. It's not just about the saving and the redeeming of individuals, although that is right at the heart of it. But God's plan is for a unified community, a connected people gathered together, and he calls it the church. There's a Greek New Testament word that's used here, ekklesia. It literally means the called out ones. It generally implies an assembly of people, those who are called out and assembled together. This church of Jew and Gentile is central to God's plan, which Paul is speaking about in these verses, as something that had been a mystery in the past, something that hadn't been understood. People hadn't grasped it or seen it, but now it was revealed. And so in in verse 6, Paul says these words, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. The Gentiles, they were those who really before Christ seemed to many to be outside the present reach of God's purposes in the earth. The truth is most of us here in the room today are Gentiles. We are non-Jewish people. Gentiles were the outsiders. They were the others. They were the ones that didn't appear to fit in to God's plan. Now, when I was young, in the days before we had multiple screens to entertain children, we used to play a lot more board games. One of the board games that we had and we used to play in our house was called Misfits. And I think there's a picture that will come up here. Uh, You used to have these like little cards and you had to build characters. They had like six or seven cards. And you had to try and put them together to build a character or a body. And ideally, you would build one that matched. As you can see, there were things like... uh, astronauts, uh, circus, hang on, don't go to that one just yet. Uh, If we go back to the other one, there were policemen, clowns, pirates, and you had to match the parts. And if you didn't match the parts, then what you would end up with would be a misfit like this. And if we can go to the second slide now, you would end up with a body that was made up of all sorts of random parts. And it looks kind of funny. Now, the mystery that Paul is speaking of here is that God's plan is to make a new body of humanity, taking the misfits, taking the outsiders, along with the Jewish people, and making a way by bringing them both into Christ to bring them together and to be something together. Even though they didn't look like they belonged together, he would make one body of them, one body that together would be the favored people of God, that together would be the ones that lived in the blessings that came through Jesus Christ. This is God's plan, to make a body from the misfits and in Christ to make them fit. See, he, Jesus, is the head. If you like the face card, the head card, it's already placed and it can't be changed. It's Christ. He is the head. But others are brought in and found in him and aligned to him. And this new body gets built. Christ is the head. Others brought in. His plan is to fit us into this new body of Christ on the earth called the church. And so Paul gave his life to preaching to the Gentiles, going to the outsiders, the people like us. In fact, it's the very reason why Paul was in prison. 
If you read in Acts 22, the Jews had taken exception to the fact that he said he himself had been called to go to the Gentiles to bring them in, to play an equal part, to have an equal share in this body that Christ was building. And that was the point at which the Jews were violent towards him and he became arrested and ended up as a prisoner. This is what Paul gave himself to. If you like finding new cards to add in, nurturing and growing the church, this ecclesia, the called out, the assembled ones who together made up this body. And he goes on to say this in verse 10. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. This is his plan. This is God's plan. His intention was that now through the church, that's you and me and all those in this new body, the manifold wisdom of God would be seen, that his greatness his ability to do what seemed impossible, his power to redeem, his ability to transform and to rescue humanity from all its brokenness and depravity, selfishness and fragmentation, relational breakdown and prejudice and isolation and all of that stuff, that God's wisdom in knowing how and being able to outwork this, that it would be seen it would be made known. It would be declared and it would be demonstrated. How? By his church. The body, the called out ones assembled together by us and the body we make together. Now, I know the world may or may not be watching, but the unseen places, the rulers, the authorities in the heavenly realms, God's angels take notice of what's happening in the church. And the unseen powers of darkness, which we'll hear a bit more about when we get to chapter six, they take notice when the church arises. Because as they see this new body, they know that they've lost. Because this body demonstrates God's all-surpassing power. That even on this earth, where there are dark powers that seek to reign and seem to reign, that even here, God's power is to build and can build a new body that demonstrates something different. This is why, friends, we, de we prioritize the gathering of the church. It's why the relationships of the church are so important. It's why Christ-centered community is so important. It's why we pray for the church, because she's right at the heart of God's plan. She's at the forefront of the demonstration of God's power and wisdom and goodness. That's why we want to pray in these weeks, to pray for the church, to pray into this plan, into his creating of a new body, a church that would display his wisdom and display his glory as we are built together in his plan. Paul was willing to suffer in prison for this goal. But he didn't just go to prison as he dreamed, as he sought, as he worked for this misfit Jew and Gentile church. He also prayed. He knew how to pray. We're going to read 
his prayer. We're going to turn back to the text, Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. We get to read Paul's prayer. There's so much life in it, you kind of feel like you're listening in. But this is what he says, verse 14 to 21, we're going to read. He says, for this reason, because of the significance of the church, because the church is at the heart of God's plan, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how high and wide and long and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Oh man, what a prayer. This is how Paul prays for the church. And he's here and he's praying, and he's praying for power in the church. He's praying for his power. This is what moving on, we've talked about his plan. We're now talking about his power. Now, probably we would all be pleased to see more of God's power in the church. Healings, miracles, signs, wonders. Perhaps that's one of the things that you've been praying for in these 21 days. That's a great thing for us to pray for, to see a breakthrough in. And of course, we read right back at the start in chapter one about the incomparably great power for us who believe. The very same power that raised Christ from the dead is available for us who believe. Do you believe that? We believe that. When did you last pray for someone to be healed? When did we last lay hands on someone? We kind of believe it, but actually to see a breakthrough, for sure we need to learn how to move more in that power. That's a good thing for us to pray for. But what Paul is praying for here, as he prays for the church, his priority in this prayer is not actually the pursuit of an outward demonstration of God's miracle-working power. Yes, he's praying for power, He's praying for power through the Holy Spirit, but he's praying for it to be active on the inside of the believers. He's praying for something internal because he knows this is utterly critical if we're going to be able to fit together as the one body that lines up with and matches the head that is Jesus. You know, how does a handful of misfits who are filled and preoccupied with our own stuff and selfishness, how do we even as we're struggling to get free from our own sin, how do we make one body that lines up with Jesus, that looks like Jesus, that displays his wisdom and greatness and fulfills his plan? Yeah, it, it takes power. It takes a different kind of power to the power that the world would often look for. Because what Paul is praying for here, he's praying for inner strengthening, by the Holy Spirit, so Christ's living in us. So it's as though Christ is alive in us. And this power that he's praying for, it has a lot to do with love, perhaps everything to do with love. And not love as we might understand it from our culture or from English language. This love has nothing to do with sex or sexuality. This is not romantic 
or emotional. In fact, the New Testament Greek, it has several words for different kinds of love. And the word that is used here is a word agape. It means a brotherly love that is pure, willful, sacrificial, a kind of love that intentionally desires another's highest good. It's the kind of love that gets described so eloquently in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's patient, kind, it doesn't envy, doesn't boast, and so that list goes on. And of course, this kind of love is most completely demonstrated at the cross that we've sung of this morning as Jesus laid down his life for us. This is the kind of love that is at the heart of God's power. So let's look again what Paul prays and writes. He says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul's prayer for the church is that each person would be rooted and would be founded in this love of God. This isn't just poetic language. He wants this love of God to be their source, the thing from which they draw their motivation and their strength, the thing that shapes their lives. He wants them to be rooted and founded in it, but also that they'd understand it and comprehend it. How do you comprehend a love? It's, it seems to defy the normal dimensions, as Paul describes it in four dimensions. How high, how wide, how long, how deep. It's, it's like there are no normal boundaries that can limit this love of God. And he prays not only that we'd be rooted and founded in it, nor that we would just understand it, but that we would know this love that surpasses knowledge. He knows the believers, they need to experience it. They need to know it. They need to encounter it. They need to be filled with it and be familiar with it so that their lives are fueled and shaped and defined with it. Because it's this kind of engagement with the love of God that causes us to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of Christ. For God is love, you see, so to be filled to the measure of all his fullness is going to mean encountering his love. See, to be made like Jesus, to line up with the head in this body we're being fitted into, it happens as we're filled with his fullness. It happens as we encounter his love, as we live in his love and live out the love of God, as we grasp it and understand it, come to know it and are familiar with it. It's this love, it's the transformation that comes from it that makes us begin to fit, to match up with the head. It's the power of this sacrificial love for you and for me. Now, perhaps the thing that would be most transformational for us as a church body here at CLM would be a fresh encounter, a fresh understanding or a fresh experience of his power that is the love of God, of how much of the full measure that would make him go to the cross for you and for me. 
See, when we receive God's love, it fills up the deep places, the empty places of our souls. You know, you were, you were designed to live in the very presence of God. That's what we learned back in Genesis. Our souls were designed to live in the presence of the God who is love. And it seems to have caused carnage, our separation from that, with other things that we replace it with. And so we need his love to heal to forgive, to wash, to challenge, to change, to fill, and to satisfy. And when we live lives where we're receiving the love of God, then more of what flows out of our lives will be the love of God. You know, in my own life, whenever there's been a shift or a change in what I've thought, or how I've understood things, or how I've behaved and how I've felt, every time it's it's been initiated by an encounter with the love of God. It's been initiated by a fresh revelation of the love of, God's, of God for me, either through his word or an encounter through his Holy Spirit. That's why a key verse for me is the verse from Psalm 90 in the prayer of Moses that gets listed there that says, satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love. Because when we're satisfied with the love of God, it positions us completely differently. It lines us up with God. It positions us to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This is partly why prayer and fasting is so powerful because it sensitizes us. It opens up our hearts and our lives for a fresh revelation and encounter as he comes to strengthen and empower us on the inside as we line up with him. And I wonder, perhaps if this week, we might all be prayerful for ourselves, but also for the church, that God would, by his spirit, release a fresh sense of the power of his love, a greater measure in our inner beings of our lives, that we might come both in our times privately and corporately with an expectation to understand and encounter more of the love of God filling and transforming us. Paul writes about his plan. He writes about his power. But now we're going to pick up Ephesians 4 as we consider our purpose. You might want to turn to it. There's a number of verses. It's not going to come up on the screen. Um, so if you want to turn there, it might help you. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And this is why it says when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, 
attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Don't give the devil a foothold. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. This is God's word. Now, perhaps as we read some of this, perhaps our purpose is already becoming clear to you that we are called to be part of this church, this gathering of called out ones, the ones who are filled with his fullness, fitting in by the transforming power of his love. We're called to be this church that brings glory to him, to display him to the world. And Paul is urging the believers now to live a life worthy of this incredibly high calling that they've received. When he speaks in Ephesians 1.23 and describes the church, the message puts it like this. He says, the church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. You see, the church is God's primary way of acting and speaking in the earth. The main way that he demonstrates his power, his love, his greatness and wisdom. The church is God's family, his dwelling place and his instrument. Not the building, There's many buildings. It's not about those. It's about the people, the body, the people who gather and connect together. And our purpose, our purpose is to be active in being a part of this body, the church. Our purpose is to become a part that fits and is filled, that lives a life worthy of this high calling that we've received. And of course, it's good for us also 
to seek following on from that primary purpose, an understanding of our strengths and weaknesses and the grace gift that we may have been given so that we can help the church to grow healthily and find the place where we might fit best. We'll teach later this year more about the Holy Spirit and the grace gifts that he enables. And as Tracy and Jonathan said, you can explore some more about purpose also through the rooted journey. But our primary purpose, our primary purpose is to be part of this body and to fit into it. Paul explains it in chapter 4, verse 15. He said, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Or as he says in verse 13, we'll become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. It's to become more like Jesus. Now, of course, we are all a work in progress on this one. And the work won't be finished until we finally see him as he is. Of course, some are more mature than others. I don't mean synergy, although synergy may be. Mature doesn't mean that they pray loud or long or strong. It doesn't mean that they're super competent or successful or appear spiritual. It doesn't even mean you know a lot of the Bible. Mature is to be like the fullness of Jesus. That's how we fit into this body that he's building as we grow to match the head that is Jesus. And as we do that, we get to be part of carrying his presence to the world around us that so desperately needs us. And Paul helpfully grounds this idea of being mature, makes it really, really clear what this looks like in the flesh for you and for me. In fact, much of chapter four consists of this. He spells out for us what mature living looks like. He says it's growing to be humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another, keeping unity, speaking the truth in love, being joined to others and building others up in love, sharing with those in need, putting off the old self of our own way of life and being made new. It's about speaking truthfully, dealing with our anger and the relational carnage it causes. It's about earning honestly and not speaking anything unwholesome, only saying what will benefit those who listen. Who's got that one down? It's hard. Not grieving or distressing the Holy Spirit. Getting rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, or any malice, any desire to inflict injury or pain on someone else. And in case you aren't already challenged by how Paul unpacks it, he says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ, God forgave you. Our purpose, friends, is to become mature. This is what it looks like to become mature. It's going to affect every area of our lives, our conduct, how we manage ourselves, how we deal with things emotionally, how we communicate and treat one another, how we are in relationships in every area of our life, including at home where people perhaps see the most raw version of ourselves. This isn't a list, friends, for us to bring to our self-management plan. This isn't a list for us to bring and revise our New Year's resolutions. This is a list that sits in the context of his plan. His plan to build a new body with Christ Jesus as the head. 
for which you have been chosen, for which you are already included. We're not striving to be included. We're not striving to get good enough to get in. You're already in. You're already chosen. It's why Paul starts where he starts in Ephesians 1. You're already in, and yet you're called to also then be mature. It's your purpose to grow towards that. It's important we understand this list in the context of the plan. It's important that we understand this list in the context of the power that is available. His power through his spirit that has also been poured out and given to live in each one of us and to be able to bring the love of God right in to the deep places of our souls. The love that accepts you as you are. The love that came to found you and me when we were dead in our sin and make us alive in Christ. The same love that came then is the love that will transform us and enable us to fit and to be fit for purpose. I wonder, Daniel, if you want to come and join me. You know, this list, it gives us some specifics that in prayer this week, we might want to pray into. It would be good for all of us, wouldn't it, to pray for the church, for God to help us in this journey of fitting in, of becoming mature, that we might be the body that he is seeking to build that shows his wisdom and glory and what he's truly like. I think there's also room for us to pray personally this week, to come to these verses and to invite Holy Spirit to speak through them to us. If you want to say, Holy Spirit, would you just highlight anywhere where I need to grow and become more like you? Come and do your work in me with your love. Come and heal what needs healing. Come and soften my heart where it's become hardened. Come and change me again. Come and satisfy my soul where it's not satisfied. Come and bring a deeper experience. Help me to understand afresh your love because if I did, things would be different on the inside of us. Perhaps we could each pray and open our hearts and lives to the power of Holy Spirit. You know, the media loves to paint a picture of a church that is dwindling, that is a dying bag of misfits. And it doesn't seem, it doesn't try and find, and it doesn't try and display anything of the vibrancy that exists in the church, which means that almost anyone is pretty much staggered when they walk into a church that is fulfilling anything of this plan and this purpose. So often when people walk in, they'll experience warmth and authenticity and humility and the power of God's love, the presence of God, something of the fullness of him who fills everything in every way somehow dwells in the space where we meet and we worship. So when people come in and they don't know him, they see and experience something of the gospel of Jesus Christ before they've even heard it. It's why so often when people come in, they say, I've just been crying through the service and I don't understand why. I was fine until I walked in. Yeah, you've just encountered the love of God. It's his power. It's in his presence. See, this is the immense privilege that we have been afforded in being occluded in this body. It's being part of the body of Jesus Christ through which he speaks and acts and fills everything with his presence calling we've received, the purpose to which we've been called isn't to be passive. It is not to come as you are and stay as you are, although please do come 
as you are. But it is to be active in cooperating with Holy Spirit, shaping every part of our lives around the love of God and becoming in every respect the mature body of Christ. This is being fit for purpose. Of course, we'll be in these verses in prayer this week. There'll be opportunity for us to pray them through and please do join us. Simply as I finish, I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna invite Holy Spirit to be at work in every person. I wonder if we might stand together and we'll welcome the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for the majesty and the wonder of your plan. Sometimes it's hard to get our heads around the fullness of what you are on with. And we simply respond today and we welcome you, Holy Spirit. We ask that you would come and move in the power of God's love and do his work in us. Would you strengthen us in our inner beings? Would you dwell in us, Holy Spirit, in greater measure? Would you help us to grasp and encounter afresh this indescribable love? Would you transform us more into your likeness? Would you fill us with your fullness? And would you carry on to completion until each one of us and your whole body is fit for purpose and you are brought glory in the church forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen.